0: I uh, found a cell phone today, and um, the, it has no power, and we don't have any way to charge this thing. And so, I'm just curious if how we would go figuring out who this belongs to. You can't you can't fire it up, you can't look you know to see my number, or you can't see who was called and all that stuff. What would be a way that you could figure out? It's a, it's a Droid too, nice phone. How would you figure out who this belongs to? Borrow somebody's charger. We don't have that much time. Thank you, Steve pass it around, ask around. Now, we do have some law enforcement personnel that, that come to our church. What, what is a technique that they could use? They could dust it for fingerprints. And in this crowd, we're probably in the database. <laughs> so it wouldn't be real hard then to figure out who this was. So if we looked at fingerprint evidence, we could figure out who this belonged to. Okay, here's a house. Let me show you a picture of a house. Now, if you don't know who lives there, what would be some ways that you could figure out who lives there? Check the mailbox. This is actually 115 Longhorn Drive. Anybody know who lives there? I do, yes. But you don't know that, so we're going to try to, other than staking it out, And you'll be shot if you do, just just telling you, don't stake it out. But other than staking it out, we could try to ask around the neighbors. We could ask all kinds of things, trying to figure out who lived at this house. But whose fingerprints would you expect to be all over this house? Mine. Mine and Janie's, and and we've lived there 16 years, so our children have grown up there. So you'd expect to find fingerprints all over the place. Okay, now what if you were going to try to prove my love for Janie? Now, we don't have fingerprint evidence, although I think since I have two teenagers and one that's about to be a teenager, somebody ought to come up with this fingerprint thing so that when they come in off of dates, they have this infrared light or this black light, you know, and you can see exactly where they've been touched and it would increase the death rate um, in our society, but it would be awesome to have, right? We don't have that. So if you were going to try to figure out or prove my love for Janie, what would you do? How would you prove that? Dust Janie for Prince. We just had a sex series, and so we got to get our minds out of the sex series and into this one. Because the Prince would be everywhere, but uh, that's another topic for another day. Commitments. Let's go to the commitments. My time... She should be the top two or three priority with my time every day of the week. This last week... If you count the time we drove to Tyler and back and the, the extra practicing we did for ballroom dancing, I spent seven hours ballroom dancing with my wife this week. Is that a significant commitment? Yes, it is. I sp- Do what? No, never mind. Y'all are the sex guys. Never mind. I don't know what, I, I don't know what you said. So I spent a lot of time with her this week. She should be at the top two or three every day of my commitments. Don't tell me that you love somebody if you're not going to spend your time, your most valuable resource, and your money, which is not your most valuable resource. You can make more money, but you can't make more time. If you're not going to spend those things on your spouse, do not tell me that they are very high on your list. So if we were to take this whole commitment thing, if we were to look at your commitments over the last week what would we find is in your top three or your top five? If we were going to apply this whole commitment thing and say that commitments are kind of like neon signs or neon fingerprints that demonstrate your relationship with Christ, what would we find over the last week or the last month? How important is Christ to you? Because if someone claims that, that... Worship is that they're devoted to Jesus, and that worship is something that's important to them. Where would you expect to find them on a Sunday morning? At church, right? If they say that worship is important to them, wouldn't you expect them to spend some time on a daily basis in private worship? Doesn't that make sense? If if Jesus is number one, if God is number one, wouldn't you expect on a daily basis that they would spend some time worshiping Him? Does that make sense? And your kids know. Your kids know whether church is important to you. Your kids know whether God is important to you. If someone says that that Christ is important to them, shouldn't the bride of Christ be very important to them? Shouldn't the bride of Christ, the church, and whether you're a member of this church or another church, shouldn't, shouldn't your children see you devoting time to the bride of Christ on a regular basis? If new life is important to you, if you're a member here, a regular attender, your fingerprints ought to be all over this place. On Sunday mornings, your fingerprints ought to be back in the children's area. Your fingerprints ought to be all over your money as if it's your money giving in the joy basket and the bagel basket. Your fingerprints should be all over that because your commitments demonstrate for everyone around what's important to you. Neon signs, neon fingerprints that say this is what you value. And your fingerprints should be everywhere. Janie can go to Walmart and she, she goes to Walmart a lot. But when she goes to Walmart, almost every time she'll come home and she'll tell me about a family that she saw and somebody that's either in her class now in the 18 months old to, to three years, somebody that's in her class now or somebody that came through her class and she'll hear from across Walmart, Miss Janie and some kid will come flying, flailing arms, you know, just to give her a hug and, and they'll, they'll introduce her to their parents, This is Miss Janie. Because she has poured her life into those kids and they love her. And you can see evidence of her commitment on a week after week basis. She gets to know those kids. And if if new life is important to you, you ought to be having some commitment. um, You ought to be demonstrating some commitment here on a regular basis. Small groups ought to have commitments, your, your fingerprint commitments all over it. People that, that you say are important to you at New Life, you ought to be spending time with them on a regular basis because that demonstrates what you really believe. And, and don't, give me, don't give me this trash about, oh, well, you know, I'm commitment phobic or, or whatever, because you can't do anything of value in life without a few commitments. Ever bought a house? You sign 8,000 pieces of paper... That you have no idea what it says. And if you have a real estate agent, they're just like, oh, just sign it. I'll just sign it. And you're like, Yeah. The first house Janie and I bought in Arlington, we just kept looking at the dude like, I don't know what this is. I'll just sign it. You make commitments. You ever bought a car? You make commitments. You can't even get a driver's license without some type of commitment. So don't tell me that you're not going to make commitments. Commitments, nothing affects the quality of your life and the, the legacy that you're going to leave behind like the commitments that you make today. So let's look at a couple of things on your listening guide. Three things that your commitments demonstrate. First of all, they reveal your values. My commitments show what I really love. All right, and if you're single, here's a quick news flash. If somebody tells you that they love you, and they're not willing to commit to you, they don't love you. Because you can't love somebody or something without making a commitment to them. That one was free. How many people do you know that say, oh, I love my family, but their family doesn't even know them? Again, kids know. They see where you spend your time, and to them that equals what you love. If I say that, that physical fitness is important to me, but I never spend any time... On my physical fitness, how important is it to me? Not very. There's an epidemic of uncommitted people in Anderson County and in New Life Community Church. If you don't make any commitments in life, what you're really saying is, I'm only going to commit to me. I'm the only thing that matters. Nothing else in life matters. And we call that selfishness. And you'll live a miserable life. And when you come to your funeral... There probably won't be a whole lot of people there. Because you've not poured your life into anybody else's, why should they come and honor a selfish life? There's a second thing. Your commitments shape your life. We say this all the time. You'll become whatever you are committed to. So you tell me your commitments today, and I'll tell you what you will become in the future. I can predict that based on your commitments right now. You tell me what your kids are like uh, what you're committed to, and I'll tell you what your kids will turn out like. Because you can look around all the time and you can see parents that aren't committed to making sure their kids are the most productive adults that they can possibly be. And you see it very early on. And you look at those kids and you go, oh dear God, there is a train wreck going to come. I, I did youth ministry for 19 years. And and I could I could predict pretty well who was going to... Um, Have a train wreck in their life and who was going to be this productive citizen And, and certainly I could I could predict in most cases who was going to live for God when they got older just based on the commitments that I saw in the families as they're raising those kids third thing is it demonstrates your commitments determine your destiny not demonstrates determine choose your commitments very carefully. Because once you choose those and you, you spend your life on them, your destiny is set in stone. The fact that we're free to gather here today and worship happened because a couple hundred years ago, some people said, we are going to give our lives to make sure this is a free country. And so the commitments they made back then, that this is, we're going to have freedom of worship, we're going to have a freedom of assembly, cost people their lives. Commitments are that valuable and that valuable important. Now, Jesus asked a uh, very interesting question in Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, and he says this. He's talking to a whole group of people that are very interested in what he's having to say. He says, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Now, the reason this is a big, uh, significant question is because every day you exchange your life for something. You exchange your time for something. And when you kill time, you're literally committing Suicide, because you can't make any more time. So we got to be real careful about those commitments. Wise people commit to the most important things. They exchange their lives for those things that are most valuable, not only on this planet but forever. We believe as a church that the most significant commitment you can make is to Jesus Christ, to give your heart to Him. And and we try to be real upfront about what Jesus expects from you because Jesus was real upfront about the cost of commitment. Look what he said in Luke 14, 26. Anyone who wants to be my follower must love me far more than he does his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers or sisters. Yes, more than his own life. Otherwise, he cannot be my disciple. He might not be my disciple, He may not be able... No, he cannot be my disciple unless your devotion to Christ is at a level... That's that's pretty significant cost. I mean, if you think about some of the dictators in the world, Muammar Gaddafi, he doesn't want to go out of power, uh, Osama bin Laden, uh, Fidel Castro. Jesus makes some outrageous demands on your time and on your commitment that even these dictators would never think to make. That's how significant the cost is to Jesus. He says, you got to love me more than family, mother, brother, wife, husband, children. You've got to love me that much more or you can't be my disciple. Not that it's difficult. You can't follow me unless your uh, devotion, your commitment is that high. But the thing is, Jesus is the only one that has a right to demand that much commitment for you. He created you. He loves you. And he died for you. And there's not another founder of any world religion who can make those claims. And on, on top of that, he has a plan for your life. And so Jesus has the right to demand that commitment. Now, if Jesus isn't Lord of everything of your life, he's not Lord at all in your life. You don't get to say, okay, Jesus, you can have one, two, three, four, but you can't have six through ten. And, and I'm just going to, maybe I'll share number five. You can't do that. He says, I want it all. I want everything. C.S. Lewis said, if Christianity is untrue, then it's unimportant. So if the Bible is a lie, if it's a myth, if, if what we're doing is, is all based on, on, uh, junk science, we're wasting time to hear today. If it's all untrue, Christianity is insignificant, so ignore it. But if Christianity is true, if the Bible is right, there's nothing more important. C.S. Lewis said this, The only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. It's an all-or-nothing deal. The term casual Christian did not come from the Bible, did not come from the first century church casual christian in fact jesus half brother james said that faith without works is dead it's useless it's worthless so you're either you're either all in or you're all out it's it's like saying well i'm i'm semi pregnant excuse me you're either pregnant or you're not and we have a lot of pregnancies yeah we're growing the church one way or another. That's why we did our sex series. Anytime we have a lull in growth, we have a sex series. Nine months later, we explode. Um, <laughs> just totally threw me off. It's saying I'm semi-pregnant or I'm, I'm half dead. Now, you may look half dead. That's a personal problem. But, but you're either alive or you're dead. You may be sick. You may be really sick, but you're alive. You're not dead. And so you're either a committed Christian or you're not. Those are the two options. It's not I'm a casual Christian or I'm a semi-committed Christian. There's no such thing. So let's let's not kid ourselves. Let's figure out if Christ is the Lord of our lives. And let me show you how he can move up to the top priority. Four things that God wants from you. Number one, give God the first thoughts of each day. The first thoughts of each day. Psalm 5.3 says, Each morning I will look to you in heaven and lay my request before you. Would you say that's a habit? Each morning, is that a habit? If, if the fellow's doing it every day and he's suggesting that we should do that as well, each morning, what would happen to your thought life, to your attitude, to your marriage, to your business, if the first few moments of your day you dedicated to looking to God before you ever walked out the door? Would that be a positive thing or a negative thing? Positive thing. Um, Janie and I pray together every night when we go to bed. Last night we were praying, um, we'd gone to a gymnastics meet and we got home early, and we were praising God for that, that we got home early. Uh, and, and we prayed for some of you all by name. There's stuff going on in people's lives, and, and so we prayed out loud for some of you guys and asked God to, to be very real in your life, and we, we thank God for everything that's gone on during the day, and we pray for whatever we know is facing us the next day, and so we prayed for church. We prayed for this crowd. Didn't even know what this crowd was going to look like. We prayed for the children's workers. We pray every night when we go to bed. We take turns and, and, you know, we'll give each other a hard time. It's your turn. Now it's your turn. But we pray together. And I love listening to my wife pray. And I'm, I, I think she likes listening to me pray unless I go real long. Sometimes I go real long. Um, but I don't want just my last thoughts of the day to be on Christ. I need, you need your first thoughts to be on Christ before you go out the door. And that's got to be a habit. So God expects the first part of your day that you give some to him. Second, give God the first day of every week. The first day of every week. Acts 27 says this, On the first day of the week, we all met together. Now, last year we went through this big, long uh, eight-week series on building a great life, and we've condensed it just as a a reminder this year. But part of what we did was we had family devotionals. We handed out those things, and several of you all did family devotionals. We did ours, and we did eight weeks' worth of, of family devotionals. And when we got to this point, we were sitting around the table and we were talking about um, worshiping Christ. And we were talking about why do we worship on Sunday? Because we were talking about the Sabbath day. And, and there's two reasons why we worship on Sunday. First is that Jesus died on Good Friday. That was, that was Good Friday. It wouldn't have been good, though, if he'd stayed in, in the grave like every other world founder of a religion but on the on sunday morning jesus rose from the dead and so he became different than anybody else in history and he never died again so we celebrate on that on the day that jesus christ came back from the dead it changed from saturday to sunday well the second thing is the second reason so first is just because we're celebrating the day that jesus rose from the dead to pay for our sins the second reason though um, is because it is the first day of the week and God expects the first fruits of everything that we're supposed to give Him. So we celebrate because He raised on the, on Sunday and this is the first day of the week. Those are the two reasons why we do that. So the, the third reason, the third way to move God up to the top is to give God the first 10% of every paycheck. All right, I have uh, 10 oranges here today and I want you all to help me... Um, Tell me some some bills that when they come in, they are like the biggest checks that you write or if you do it online, what's, what's one of the biggest? House payment. All right. So I've got 10 oranges here. Let's say that this represents your monthly income. So a couple of things we're going to pay for the house. What's next? Car. One or two? Depends on how nice a car you got. Whether it's a Dave Ramsey car or not. We'll just do one. Give me something else utilities that's two right let's just say we're in july that might be three and then gas gasoline that's a bunch dude last time it went to four dollars a gallon i had a pickup in a durango i was spending five hundred dollars a month on gas we can't do that all right so we did all that now And they have gotten loose. Rolling around. All right. So cell phone. Pretty significant. All right. Give me some other things. Food. Food. All right. So we're going to spend half of this orange on food. What's next? Oh, direct TV or dish TV, depending on how many channels you have. All right. What else? Give me something else. Food? Did we say food? Eating out? Internet. Oh, I heard internet. We did that one. Eating out. I didn't do eating out. Diapers? What else? I, I wrote other things down here. Clothes? Insurance. Nice. I have teenagers. I put down toiletries. I need another orange for that. For teenagers. Toiletries. So we get down to the very end of the month... And then we go, oh, I'm supposed to give some to God. That's all I got, God. You understand? See, we've taught our kids, and and whether they follow it, that's between them and God. But we taught our kids a long time ago that 10% of what they get goes to God, off the top. They have envelopes. They have to put it in. When they get paid, cash check, they put 10% in an envelope. They put another 10% in savings. And then they get to live off of 80%. Because we want them in a habit to do that. Now, I want you to see what the Bible says about this. Proverbs three nine says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first and best part of all your income. Does this look like the first and best part? Yet the vast majority of Christians that I've come across, been a minister for 27 years now, this is what they give, if anything. So that type of commitment, what does that tell you about their commitment to God? Is it very high? I'm sorry, but the Bible says the starting place for Christians, for Christ followers, the starting place is 10%. And why do I do it? Because that's what when we say tithe, this is talking about a tithe, the first and best part, a tithe means 10%. And you can argue about whether it's gross or net or whatever it is, but but 10% of your income is supposed to go to God. And it's not after I've paid the bills. I do it because money is a test. Money really shows God and everybody else where my heart is. And if I'm giving the last part, then that's where God's kingdom is in my priority list. I give to show God, you're number one. I give to God to show God, I trust you for today, God. But I also give so that I can say to God, I trust you for my future. Now, last year, the last Sunday in February, we finished up our Building a Great Life series and we had this commitment time. And there were 30 families that committed over and above the tithe to give to building a great life, which is our, we're trying to get out of debt. We want to get out of debt as quickly as possible. We're, we're going to build a new worship center right out here on the, on the uh, uh, driveway or driveway, on the parking lot. We're looking at all of that stuff, but we're not going to do that until we're out of debt. And we're not going to do that until we have cash. We want, we want to ask God to provide cash to build a new place for us. In the future. Don't know how long that's going to be. At our present rate, we're going to pay off this building sometime at the end of next year. We had a 15-year note, and we'll pay it off in three years because of what God is doing. But, But in the Jewish mind, they would never have considered tithing as the end all. They would have considered that the beginning point. So... You'll never know, unless someone tells you who the people are, who the 30 families are that have committed over and above, but there are some families in this church that tithe, and once a month, they give, they give another check that is as big as their tithe. And I look at that, I don't see it all the time, but I look. I have a printout at the end of the month, and I know what's come in. I know how much we, we pay to uh, Elkhart State Bank when we're paying off the mortgage. And I look at that and I just say, only you, God. I'm not saying that those people are more spiritual than anybody else. I'm just saying that those people in my mind have looked at God and they have said, God, your kingdom is so important that not only am I going to give 10%, I'm going to give over and above that. And I'm pretty good with math. Some people are giving 20%. They're giving 10% to the tithe, 10% to the building a great life. And when I see that, sometimes Janie will just, she'll add up the stuff and she'll print it out and she'll bring it to me. I almost weep when I see that, that people are sacrificing for the kingdom of God. So even though we have a funny little thing when we talk about the bagel basket and we go, I love it. And, and we kind of joke about that. Man, that's a serious deal. So don't ever discount those people. And there's even, there's even some folks that give five bucks over and above the tithe. Well, every penny that comes in there goes to our debt and it reduces our interest. So I don't even know, I don't remember what our exactly our starting interest rate was, but our effective interest rate is going to be so low because we're paying off a 15-year note in three years. And it's all to the glory of God. Now, I want you to see in the Old Testament and the New Testament where we get this thing of tithing. Deuteronomy fourteen twenty three, the purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. Now we, the way we do it is we get paid twice a month, so twice a month we write out a check. I know some folks that that like to do that every week, and and that's that's fine. Then the last Sunday, because that's when we gave our offering, the last Sunday. So today we gave our bagel offering as well. Janie comes in, she says, "Okay, today's bagel offering." We make sure that we've got everything covered there, and we give we give twice a week to tithe and then I mean twice a month to tithe and then we give once a month to the bagel offering and it's to teach us every time i write out that check i'm saying god it's all about you i can't take it all with me anyway so why not send it on ahead by by investing in god's kingdom look in the new testament first corinthians 16:2 paul is writing to the church at corinth and he says on the first day of the week you should put aside a portion of the money you have earned the portion is 10% and, and we know that because Jesus actually commended the Pharisees. It's one of the few times he ever commended the Pharisees when they were, they were even, even tithing the little um, spices in their cabinets. And he says, oh, you guys, you even, you even give... Um, I can't even remember the spices. You give 10% off your spices, and he says, and that is good, and you should do that. He said, but you should also be kind to the poor. So he talked about an inner attitude. So Jesus affirmed tithing in the New Testament. The the, the portion is 10%. And we give on the first day of the week. So we give twice a month. We give on Sunday. Why on Sunday? Because that's the Lord's day. Why not on Thursday or Friday? Because that's not the Lord's day. Now some people forget and they'll bring their checks by later. That's fine. But tithing is an act of worship. Tithing is not giving to charity. And giving to charity is not tithing. Those are two very different things. You might give to charity, and that's great. Last year, our church gave over $4,000 to World Vision to go to Haiti. In addition to 12 of us going down there to, to help in Haiti. And we should give that. But that's giving to World Vision is not tithing. Tithing is an act of worship, and I give, I tithe where I worship. I tithe where I'm fed. So you should give over and above the tithe, but don't think that if you designate your tithe, that's not an act of worship. If I tell God, okay, I'm giving this to you, God, but you can't spend it wherever you want to, God. You've got to put it here. That's giving, but that's not tithing as an act of worship. Those are two different things. Tithing is to the house of God where I'm fed on a regular basis, where I attend on a regular basis. That's worship and that's tithing. Number four, to move God to the top of your priority list is to give God the first consideration in every decision. Gosh, how much we could avoid heartache in our lives if we would back up, slow down before we make decisions, talk to God, consult God's Word, and consult people who are more mature in the faith than you are. How many times have you asked your friends... Who might be great friends, but who are stupid relationally? You've asked for their advice, and and I'm you know I'm I'm forty six, so I, you know I, I have a few years. I have a little bit of experience. Well, actually, I have a lot of stupid experience that I can share with you, and I share that not so you can go, oh well, the preacher did it. That's twice as stupid as me doing it. You know, if that's your reasoning, I tell you because I don't want you to make the same mistakes. I've told my kids, you want to be doubly ignorant in my mind? Do what I did. And I'll tell you, you're twice as stupid as me. If that's your reason, why don't we go to people who are mature, that we respect their walk with Christ, that we see their commitment to Christ? Why don't we ask those people for advice? Why don't we consult God's Word? Why don't we slow down a little bit before we make these life-altering decisions? We're filled with that, right? I mean, everybody here could say, I've made many dumb mistakes. Let me see. How many of you made colossal mistakes in your life that you would change if you could? All right. There's a wealth of wisdom. Don't make all the mistakes yourself. That's stupid. Allow someone else to make some mistakes and learn from them. That's really wisdom. Proverbs 3, 6 says, remember the Lord in all you do, and he will give you success. How many of you want to be successful? Successful. The Bible says, wherever you put God first, that's where you'll be successful. You want God, you want to be successful in your finances, you put God first. You want to be successful in your marriage, you put God first. You want to be successful in your business, you put God first. You want to be successful in your parenting, you put God first. Wherever you put God first, the Bible says you'll get what? You'll have what? Success. Now, I want you to look at these four statements on your, uh, listening guide. The, the four there under to put God first. What, what is the, the common word in each four of those statements? First. What place does God want to have in your life? First. Now, I want you to go ahead and take your, uh, registration cards, if you would. And whether you fill them out yet or not, go ahead and, and flip it over on the back. I want you to examine your life over the past seven days. And I want you to put a number on the back, and this number is going to be where God was in your priorities based on your commitments this last week. Was God first, second, tenth, whatever? I want you just to take us a moment and examine your last seven days, and if somebody were to investigate your life, where would they say God ranks on your scale? Just take us a, a, a moment to do that. Now, those four statements where you can, where you can work, because we always ask you to write stuff down because we want you to apply what God's teaching you. So there's four statements. Which one do you need to focus on this week? Which one is it that maybe God pricked your heart and you, you felt like, ooh, that, that, was, that was spoken to me? Was it the first, you need to give God the first thought of your day? The first day of every week? The first 10% of your paycheck? Or the first consideration of every decision? Which one is it? Just You can, you can put one, through, one, two, three, four. I'll know what the second set of numbers are. We want you to focus on something as you leave here today. Now, real quickly, there's two things that will kill your commitments. First one is distractions. When I coached Caleb's um, four and five-year-old soccer team, it's three on three or four on four, you know, you decide. and, And what they do is the soccer ball is here. You throw it out and wherever the soccer ball goes, all six or eight kids are around the soccer ball. We called it the amoeba. And so, you know, I can even do an orange. The orange would come out over here. All six of them would be around and they're kicking. And then they just, they get in this glob and all of a sudden the ball pops out and here they all go. Well, we had this one little boy and this one little boy would be chasing the ball like everybody else and he would see a shadow and he would freeze. And he would start chopping. He would wave. And he'd chase it. And we're going... The ball over here. I mean, seriously, he'd be down here and he'd... Or if a, if a butterfly, he'd flap it. I'm not kidding. Chase, and we're like, dude, somebody catch him before he gets to the parking lot. Because the dude had no clue. And it was cute. And it was funny. And he was a totally useless soccer player. When you get distracted in, in the Christian life, you become a totally useless Christian. And that's exactly where the enemy wants you, looking at other things instead of God, looking at your problems, looking at your bank account. Look what Mark 4.19, Jesus is speaking. He says, The attractions of this world and the delights of wealth and the search for success and lure of nice things come in and crowd out God's message from their hearts. All right, look at those things. Is there anything wrong about those things? The delights of wealth, search for success, nice things. Anything wrong with those? Is there anything evil in that list? Jesus says when they become first on your priority list, they become idols. And you become worthless in the kingdom of God. And Satan has defeated you again. So you've got you to make those distractions, you got to get rid of those distractions and focus on God again. If success or wealth or nice things are what you want, that's okay as long as they're not in first place. The Bible says in Ten Commandments, no idols, no other gods. Second thing that's going to kill your commitment is complacency. What happens when we become complacent is we start living off the past, off commitments of the past. I just jotted down some significant commitments in my life. 1970 is when I gave my life to Christ. Six years old, walked down an aisle. 1982 is when I was at a camp and I felt like God was calling me to be a minister. 1983, I re-upped my commitment to God and to following His path as, as a minister. 1991, I married Janie Gardner, and I committed the rest of my life to her. 2002, we committed as a couple to starting New Life Community Church, and we committed that as long as God left us on the planet, that we were committed to building this church. We're not interested in moving to other places. We're not interested in climbing the corporate ladder as a lot of ministers do. That's great. They can have that. We don't want it. We want to be here. We want to build this church. 2010, last year, we made a significant commitment. We would pray and we talked to our children about this, about this whole building a great life commitment. And we prayed and we started off, man, with, with about this much Faith. And the longer we prayed, and, and, and I always kind of like it, I know that we're getting serious about something when Janie's eyes start getting bigger. And when we finally got to a point, we said, we're going to give this one-time offering, which was so hilarious for us, and then we're going to make this commitment over and above the tithe. We made that commitment, and we said for three years, we were going to make that extra commitment to help pay off the debt here at New Life. And, and I had people hammer me about Oh well you're you're asking people to to make commitments and I said to God and they're like well I don't think you should ask you're 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 not letting your yes be yes and I'm like I said yes I'll go for 3 years God and give you this well you're not supposed to promise anything you're not supposed to promise God anything he said let your yes be yes and any, and your no be no anything beyond this is evil I wasn't asking people to commit to the evil one. <laughs> if you feel led to commit to God, commit your life to God. We prayed and we said, God, we believe that, that you, we can never outgive you. And we want to demonstrate a level of faith that we've never shown before because we believe you're going to be faithful. We believe everything you say, God, and we're going to demonstrate it. So we made those commitments. If your only commitment is 1921, and by the way, I don't think anybody here could possibly do that. My dad was born in 1922. So if you're making commitments older than my dad, if you're living off of those, something's wrong with your walk with Christ today. When's the last time you made any significant commitment to the kingdom of God that would require anything other than being comfortable or complacent? We're going to hand out some cards today. You guys go ahead and do that. Let's do it real quickly. <clears throat> and on there, there's just some options. And, and nobody besides me is going to see these. But if you're interested in, in upping your commitment, you've got a place on there for your first thoughts of the day, your first day of the week, first 10%, first consideration of every decision, or even doing the bagel offering. If you're interested in that, just put that on there. I'll contact you and get you a sheet on how you can make that. But we believe you're going to become what you're committed to. And, and so if you are willing to make that commitment, just put that on there. You can put it um, in, in one of the baskets back there. Put it in the registration card basket and I'll get all of that. All right, three cards. Or three cards. Three baskets. Joy basket. Church members, regular attenders. If, if everybody who was a church member here and regular attender gave, we would pay off our debt this year. If all you did was, was tithe. We'd pay off the debt this year, and we'd save up for two years and and have enough money to to at least start the new building. So regular attenders, church members, we expect you to give, and tithe is the starting place. That's what you do in that basket. Second basket is registration card basket. If you have prayer concerns, please write those on there. I pray for those throughout the week, and, and it really helps me to understand where you are and what's going on in your life. So put some prayer concerns on there. Put those in that basket. And then the bagel basket. I love it.